Welcome to What Won't You Say, a woman-centered podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Mastic. Stick around for the season to be inspired by amazing women who bravely delve into the stories of their lives, giving hope and inspiration to others. Together, we will explore such a wide array of topics that you will be asking yourself, what won't you say? All right, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have my good friend, Rachel May. Rachel is an international touring recording artist and a nine-time Detroit Music Award winner with several international tours and a variety of recording projects to her credit. Rachel is most known as the leader of the all-female rock trio, Broadzilla, as a guitarist in Maxine Petrucci's band, Nova Driver, and as a member of Darren McCarty's Grinder. Rachel is also featured as a backup singer on recordings by former Fleetwood Mac member, Jeremy Spencer. She's been described as a powerhouse vocalist by NME Magazine, that's a tongue twister, and noted for her guitar playing uh, as having, quote, Heavy Fret Shredding Skills by Guitar Magazine. Welcome to the show. Wow, no big deal. Uh, awesome. Accolades. Wow, that was really hard yeah. to say. Thank you. Yeah, I do, I do a podcast. I speak for a living. It's weird. Right. <laughs> I know. It's all that LaCroix gets to you after a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, <clears throat> we actually did this podcast once already, so it feels funny to do it again. I'm going to just get a lot of everybody know. And uh, we uh, had a great time. And uh then, then all of the audio got corrupted and we were not able to put it out. So this one's going to suck. This is going to be boring. And <laughs> we told all the good stories. That's it. Always oh. happy to talk all the stories all over again. <laughs> so we will launch in um, to one of my favorites. And uh, we talked about it last time. And it is the um, Broadzilla gets the gig. They get a nice tour to go to England. And your drummer decides to uh, have a crazy night out before it all happens and things kind of go haywire. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can imagine as a, a, you know, a growing young band that we were really excited to get that opportunity. And uh, a lot of prep goes into that and we're two months out. And um, yeah, Angie decided it was a good idea to jump off the the deck at one of the bars we were hanging at and, uh, broke her ankle and so she had to have those um oh the halo the, with the pins that go in through your leg and there was a time where we didn't think we would be able to do the gig with her and I think you were one of the people we called yep. <laughs> you know trying to stack our deck in case Angie couldn't go in fact we didn't really think she was going to be able to go and as it turned out like you said you know before that and she's kind of the most badass oh my gosh. broad there is because she got on a plane and did that whole tour with the pins in her leg. And I just want to let the listeners know that, especially during that era, touring was not like tour buses in America. This is, right. this is like some tough, you know, kind of rough, not exactly clean with this open wound halo leg thing going on to tour, right. not to mention the sheer pressure on your leg with flying with hardware in it. Like yeah. I would not want to cross her in any alley day or night, you know, like that, that is, she is, I mean, also she's the sweetest person ever, but yeah, what a she was legit an iron maiden. <laughs> she was just you know, a complete iron maiden. <laughs> a legit iron maiden. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, good. because you know those, like you said, it's there's not they're not luxury accommodations, no. you know, you know luxury traveling. I mean, we were in a, in a band sharing a a band van with another band, you know. Yeah. So there was probably seven or eight of us traveling in this van and trailer, you know, and um, yeah, 
yeah, she she did the whole thing with that that Halo one. Like it it did come with its advantages though because um uh, you get expedited service in the airport when you have somebody Ooh. in a wheelchair like that. So <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so as far as your touring experience was most of that with Brodzilla? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I did uh, some stuff with Nova driver and um, I did some more European touring uh, with a local guy, um, local blues guy here, Paul lamb. Oh, right. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did a couple of his um, overseas stuff. So, but yeah, I think primarily the, the bigger stuff, the more exciting stuff was definitely, I mean, it's always more exciting with your own band, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Well, at the point of asking is that, I almost never had the luxury of touring with women. It's always been all men. Mm-hmm. And so the difference, I'm going to let you let you tell the listeners your difference, but my difference was when you traveled with all women, it was sort of, uh, it, it had its own sort of quirks and kind of things, but guys were exactly what you think. It was like, who's going to eat this tartar sauce pack that's been under the seat for the last <laughs> 17 weeks. And they're, they're pissing out of the side of the van while you're driving down the highway because you don't have time to stop. And yes. like, I've seen more junk of men that I don't want to see being on the road with guys because they don't care who they change in front of them. Yeah, like I'm trying to change in like, like, you know, a cubby hole somewhere. I'm trying right. to just disappear. Always. And they're right. like, Oh, here's my business. You know, I'm like, yeah. oh, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's exactly like that with guys. And it's almost exactly like that with girls, except for, you know, you're all girls. So yeah, I mean, there was definitely like a little bit of a sisterhood. I think that we had where, I mean, not much was, went unnoticed i mean sure. we were you know everything was out in the open not just talking about changing clothes or whatever but just like conversations yeah. and just everything i mean you're basically married to to whoever you're in. like if you're in a four-piece band you're married to three people you yeah. and those three people you know or whatever and in our case you know um it was you know me and two others but you're in a you're in a marriage of sorts you have to figure out how to get along how to deal with you know bodily functions everything yeah. like you said you know and and it doesn't matter if it's male or female it's it's about the same uh you know the same kind of rigor more that goes on on the tour i just think by and large men definitely had uh a very large advantage on the gross factor a hundred percent stinky eat yeah. gross shit they're farty yeah. and and burpy and smelly yes. and <laughs> and they're all like totally fine with it like i'm just oh, like yeah Thank, yeah. Thanks for no one trying to impress me here. I appreciate you treating me as an equal, but maybe put on some deodorant. I don't know. Yeah, right. I always tell I always tell this story when I uh, was with Paul Lamb, actually. Um, he had a tour manager. And I don't know, like some cases we'd have multiple hotel rooms. Other times, like we'd all be piling in one, you know, that kind of thing. And so it was one of those occasions where there were several of us in a room. I don't, I don't know if it was all of us, but there were several of us in a room. And and um, we were sharing a bed even. And mm-hmm. um I literally woke up next to the tour manager and, you know, I mean, you're just whatever you, I wake up and, and like the guy's in his underwear and like his things out. And I'm oh. like, cause he's sleeping and he just kind of creeped out of his pants in the middle of the night. It wasn't like a creepy factor or anything, right, but right, right. the fact of like, you know, I wake up and I look over and it's the first thing I see is, you know, somebody's thing that I don't want to see. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, this is what it's like for the dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, that brings up uh, another really fun question. Um, can you name some of the best shows, like the funnest shows you've played? They don't even have to be like the most famous band you open up for or whatever, but like just a couple really, really fun experiences. And one that comes to mind is definitely like things like Harley Fest and, and whatnot. Yeah. 
Yep, Harley Fest. I mean, locally, some of the best, uh, one of the best I have um, around here is doing the Hamtramck blowout at Paychecks. Um, in fact, you know, Allison Lewis, our local um, oh, yeah. place for car and sings, Allison Lewis broke her arm at our show. It was so <laughs> insane that day. And she had, a, she had a gig that night too, or the next night or something at, at the blowout and she couldn't do the, do it because of her arm and all that. So it was unfortunate in that capacity, but it was one of the, the crowd was just on fire. The, you know, the vibe was great. You remember how the blowout vibe used to be so yeah. and everything. And, you know, we were, again, a, a young kind of breaking out band at that time. So that's an exciting time. And just it was it was killer. Um, that one stands out to me. Um, we had one in Phoenix, um, which is right before I joined Grinder with Darren McCarty. But Darren had flown out to Phoenix to, um, he, well, he, he met us in Phoenix, was at that show and then kind of stayed on the rest of our tour with us. But in that moment though, that Phoenix show, it was one of those, again, small bar, just packed with people. You get that good vibe when they're right up the close in front of you, but they were so aggressive and so into it that like things are falling over. So Jason, our road guy and Darren were our, our um, kind of bodyguards. They were literally pushing people back and bodies were flying over and they're, you know, just watching Darren like, you know, bodyguard the broads was kind of a pretty cool, <laughs> you know, pretty cool moment there. And then uh, overseas, um, Broadzilla did uh, something called the Bulldog Bash, which is one of their big summer festivals. And um, that was put on by the Hells Angels. And it was like, you know, wow. Fireman was so cool because they had like drag racing on one side and they had like this festival vibe with all your vendors, you know, and all of that. And then, yeah, the, the big tents with all the bands and everything. Um, we played with one of my favorite bands of all time and got to hang out with some of those guys. And so, you know, it was. Oh, wait, was let me take of... a stab. Helicopters? No, close. It was the oh. Wild Hearts. Uh, yeah. It was... I'm sorry. Who was it? The Wild Hearts. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah Ginger Wild Heart mm. and all that. And uh, actually at that show, same show, um, Deborah Bonham was on the bill and we hung out with Deborah Bonham and her and Angie were like wow. talking about John Bonham and all this craziness was going on. So moments like that, that like, they just, they just stick out. I mean, you asked me that question, I could tell you instantly, like yeah. those are my top three kind of just where you feel like this is what I'm doing it for. This is like everything I got into music for was what we're experiencing right in this moment. And it's amazing too, because I always joke with people when they ask if they're not musicians and they never played in bands, I'm always, they always ask, you know, oh, is it, is it like the movies or is it like I imagine? And it's like, I always say like, most of the time it's kind of boring depending on, you know, cause it's, it's just sort of like a business, but I'm like, sometimes things magically weird happen. And I remember, and I don't know why I remember this because I don't remember what I did last week, but I remember <laughs> that for a while you struck up a relationship when we were young and it was the nineties. So this was like the coolest thing ever with Rachel Bolin from Skid Row. Yep. Yep. I should, you know, it's funny when you, when I was finishing telling you those three moments, the next one coming to mind was some of the stuff we had done with Skid Row because uh, yeah, I, I definitely struck up a friendship with him early on. I mean, um, even I think before I even had a band, my first meeting with him, it was like 89, you know? Mm. And then of course, yeah, when they started coming around more and now all of a sudden I've got a band and now, you know, we're playing with Skid Row here in the States. And then of course that grew to us doing um, kind of like a split tour with them over in the UK where um, we kind of pulled resources, like we shared gear and things like mm. that, you know, and, and, um, and yeah, and some of those moments and those shows were, were pretty cool because again, like, you know, I was a fan of them in high school and now all of a sudden I'm, you know, sharing gear with them yeah. you know? <laughs> and those moments are exactly what you do it for. But going back to what you said, 
you know, I could sit here and name like, you know, five of my top moments or whatever, but in between then was like 30 shows where nothing happened, you know, of just yeah. seeing nothing but the van and the, and the sound check and the bar and the van, you know, you travel to all these places and you never yeah. really get to see them because you're just in the van and, you know, hanging out with the band and in a, you're in a van and or, or a bar. That's it. You don't get to do yeah. the touristy museums and sightseeing. All you don't have time for that, you know. So yeah, it's uh, you get your moments, but then a lot of it is real. You know, just what what could they say? Paying your dues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I always say that too. People are like, "Oh, what was it like doing this tour?" I'm like, "Well, I saw the inside of the van, and I saw the inside of the venue, and I saw the inside <laughs> of the motel, and I saw the inside of some weird." you know, radio station. And I saw, right. you know, like you do some That's weird, it. some one-off promotion or whatever. And they, you know, hustle you into somewhere else and hustle you into somewhere else. And then I'm eating some fast food somewhere in a weird quote unquote green room. And right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. A, what was my favorite saying when we toured? It's a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah. Hurry up to get there, but then wait because, you yeah. know, whatever's going on, you got to wait for, you know, and hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. That's all it ever seemed like it was in between all those, you know, those pivotal moments. <laughs> so my next question is, what is one of the wildest things that happened when you were playing live? And I will give you my one example. I was playing Kennedy's Pub in St. Louis, and the stage was sort of like a triangle it wasn't very big. It was it was elevated like a stage, but it was a triangle sort of shape backed into a corner. And it was a like a music festival going on throughout the whole city. And uh -huh. um, somehow my set was sort of set off to the side. I got kicked in the face by somebody that was crowd surfing. I did not miss a beat, by the way, right. but he was wearing yeah, like right. big Doc Martens and he kicked me in the face. Uh and so I've had a couple moments, which is weird to be a drummer because I'm in back to have any contact with people. But I've had some weird contact before. Any any stories like that from you? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple. I mean, I, I, uh, well, I had one where I, you know, I used to wear those giant platform boots all the time. You know, oh, yeah. so I, I had one where I fell on stage, which was, you know, a whole bunch of fun in the middle. I mean, just right down, you know, yeah. I mean, I got back up like a champ and, and continued <laughs> on and, you know, I, I laughed it off, but it was, you know, it was definitely inside. I was like, did that really just happen? Yeah, it did. <laughs> you know? Stuff like that. But then, you know, I had another, uh, someplace in Ohio, I don't remember where we were, but, uh, uh, kind of a heckler situation where, yeah. you know, you get the guy that wants to, you know, show me or this or yeah. whatever, you know, and it was just like, I kind of, I don't know, I guess I wasn't in the mood for it that day because it wasn't the first time I'd ever heard that, but I wasn't in the mood for it that day. And I don't know, we got into some pissing match for me from the stage of the <laughs> crowd. And then next thing you know, security was hauling them off. So, you know, weird stuff like that. And um, we've had more weird stories of like, while we're traveling, I can't tell you how many times I've seen dudes masturbating in cars while we were traveling. hundred percent. Yeah. You too. Okay. So, so many times it's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm blown away. Honestly, I'm a little impressed with the multitasking skill. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. <laughs> right. And they're driving with one hand and, you know, I mean, got a, a taco in the other and they're driving yeah. with their knees and having a coffee. Like, I don't know what's going on there, but it's absolutely disgusting. But yeah, more times than not. Yeah. I've seen that, that. Oh, over people mm -hmm. doing other weird. I've seen people yeah. shaving and 
Well, yeah, you see a lot of that kind of stuff, stuff too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there was one of, one of the times, and it's happened multiple times. But one of the times was uh, in the middle of downtown Chicago. I mean, right in the middle of downtown Chicago, where you're where the freeway goes right through the city, you know, yeah. and you're and you always are stopped there, right? It's stop and go always in that section, and um. I mean, the guy's just, we're in a van, so we're a little higher up. And the guy's in his little sports car or whatever. I mean, he's in, you're in stop and go traffic. It's not like you might just right. fly past somebody <laughs> like, did I just see what I think I saw? Like, yeah. you're sitting there looking at the guy going, oh, I'm definitely seeing what I think I'm seeing. Like, we're just, we're playing, you know, Frogger with each other next to, you know, in the cars. We keep, we keep like, he'll go a little farther and we back off and he's farther and we're going, oh my God, how do we get away from this guy? You know, we're stuck in traffic. <laughs> You're playing dry <laughs> heave Frogger. <laughs> I don't want to see this guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So definitely. Yeah. Weird stuff like that happens. And we played some venue in, oh, what was it called? Pats in the Flats. Do you remember that venue? Oh, yeah. It was in Cleveland. I think it was like, it felt like it was like this industrial wasteland and everybody in the place I felt like was an alien. Like, I just felt like, did we just fall into the twilight zone? Like what is happening at this venue? We, we couldn't get a vibe off the crowd. The people weren't like looking at each other or communicating. They just seemed to be walking around like aimlessly. I I don't know what was happening at Pats in the Flats, but it they were not on our, on the, on, we weren't on the same level. <laughs> yeah, I think the only absolutely truly bizarre show that i that once i saw how weird it was it was very had that feel but it had something that was immediately a hallmark for go home and it was i can't remember the name of the place i think i've had therapy to get it out of my mind but um <laughs> they literally had a stage with chicken wire on the front oh and it was in ohio and i don't remember where it was i don't, I, I feel like it was just outside of toledo like between Toledo and Michigan, like it was, it was close to the border, okay. but yeah. And we went in and I mean, everybody was fine, but yeah. we were literally like we were in roadhouse playing behind yeah. chicken wire. Chicken I don't know if wire. it was like an ambiance or what. I mean, there were a lot of bikers and stuff in there, but that doesn't mean that they're violent. They yeah. were perfectly nice people, you know, like, yeah, but it was yeah, a weird was, vibe. Yeah, I was like, I don't know why if we ever played that place. Why are we playing here? But and, yeah, and it was, wasn't like, I wasn't even playing in a rock band. I was playing in like a folk band. Like I was playing with like sister Otis, like, all right, yeah, right. right get four of us out there and play some, you know, some acoustic music for you, you know, yeah, behind the right, chicken yeah. wire, <laughs> some smooth stylings of the seventies. Right. Well, you guys make sure none of those maracas go flying <laughs> out into the crowd, you know, <laughs> smooth stylings of some yacht rock while you guys throw Bud Blight bottles at us, you know? <laughs> oh man. So you mentioned something earlier and uh, when we were talking before we started recording, and uh, so your boyfriend is a musician, correct? Yeah. And does it seem to you like it's way, way easier to date a musician than none being yes, one? hundred percent. I have 100%. this conversation a lot. I'm married to a musician. It's like, yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to explain. No, Nothing. really rehearsal yeah. ran late. I wasn't doing other things that I shouldn't right. be doing. You speak the same language, even in just general conversation. Like it's it, it, when I think when you're such a musician at heart, and you embody that so much that it's hard to have a conversation with somebody. Like I noticed this when I hang out with some of my girlfriends from high school, like I love them to death, but they're all talking about babies and children. And I'm over here like, you know, 
wanting to talk about, you know, the, the latest Marcus King album and they wouldn't even know who that was. You, right, know? Like, right. you know, when you don't speak the same language, you're great people. I, I love hanging out with them, but we don't speak the same language. And I think that's the same kind of concept when it's when in the dating world is like, if you're dating a guy that just doesn't get it or isn't, isn't at least a fan of music in that way, mm it's really hard because that's my whole life. I don't really have much to talk about other than, than music, you know? So yeah, it's, I, I think it's tough. It, um, for me, I found I, I don't, I just don't have a lot in common with anybody who isn't a musician friends too. Yeah. You know, you know? Yeah. Have you ever met anybody? I've met a few people who, who say empirically, I don't like music. Yeah, there are, there are, yeah. For sure. There are definitely some uh, some folks like that, that just music's not their thing. And I guess, you know, I, I could say the same for a lot of other things, too. There's a lot of hobbies and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. But I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to call you that. Though. But like, so you don't like commercials, you don't like movies, you don't. Like right. Yeah, every, you're right. Yeah. Everything yeah. like music's you know. like the universal yeah. language. I mean, let's, you know. Right. Well, we all speak it in some capacity. I don't know how you couldn't like music, but you know, I can say like like in the genre. There's some genres that I just do not like at yeah. all, and yeah. I I've tried and I've tried. Like I like I do not like country at all. There's no yeah, kind of not either. Just some of the classics, but none of the new stuff. I can't Hank Williams Jr. Through. all day. You know what I mean? All like day. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So yeah. you know, like the classics because again, the, it's the origins of rock and things like that. I, I get That's it. Right. Mm -hmm. But it is uh, overall like something I don't enjoy. Like I would honestly rather listen to opera than country. Yeah. Just a right. preference. But yeah, to say like, you know, unequivocally, I don't like, like, I don't really do a lot of sports, but I don't dislike them. I actually like watching some of them. I don't yeah, right. perform really any other than right. weightlifting, you know? So, but to be like, I don't like any sports. It's like, I, I imagine if you, if you tried, you'd like something, you, you know? probably like something. Yeah. Right. yeah. Pickleball. Exactly. I don't know. Pick something weird, yeah. you know? Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Miniature yeah. golf. I mean, you know. right. Right. You know, don't you like putt putt? Everyone likes putt putt. Come on. Right. Aren't you from the Midwest? You weirdo. Um, yeah, so going a little bit further, uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, some other subjects because it's going to get us to a really cool story. So hang with us. Uh, <laughs> so uh, just before COVID 2019, you ended up losing your mom, correct? Yeah, I did. Yeah, tough one. Yeah, and I know you were so, so very close and, and that had to be incredibly difficult to go through. Yeah, one of the hardest things I've ever, actually, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life for sure. Yeah. And imagine Still like- rolling into covid that had to just be so so tense yes because you know we were all sent home from work you know we're home we're forced to be alone with our thoughts there's no daily distractions to kind of keep us moving and keep things going and i i sunk you know sunk into some of those thoughts a lot so yeah it was but then the same at the same token i was really glad that that she didn't live to experience that or that I didn't have to worry about her sure. during that, you know, because that was just a whole thing that I don't think any of us thought we'd, you know, see in our lifetime. So, yeah, but it was a tough time for sure. So did you end up buying the 23 Me for her or she for you? Um, um, I bought it for us, basically. Um, it was a Christmas gift. Uh, I think it was in 2018, 2017, something like that. We did, we decided to... Um, we had always talked about, we just weren't sure on her side of the family. You know, she didn't have a lot of her family history and we weren't really sure what everything was. And on my dad's side, we knew. Um, but uh, 
So I just said, I said, you know, I bought us both a kit and I thought, hey, for Christmas, you know, we're going to spit in this tube and find out who we, <laughs> who we are, you know. Come <laughs> and, on, Mala, and, spit in this tube. <laughs> right. And then, you know, the results come in. And for the most part, it was all the obvious matches and things that, you know, people you think you know already and, you know, some distant cousins and things like that. And and most of it was what we've been told, a few surprises, you know, but it was uh, it was interesting. And then we put it to rest and, and that was that, you know. You're like, we're Armenian. We get it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a little bit Jewish. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. That's like you get the results. You're like, okay, yeah, I get it. You know, it's pretty yeah. much exactly what we thought. And and uh and that was and that was it. And so and then of course, like you said, she passed on in twenty nineteen and my dad was you know, preceded her. So at this point I found myself sort of just uh navigating the world parentless, you know, as an only child, you know, I grew up as an only child. And that was, you know, I didn't have any brothers or sisters and I have no parents anymore and I'm not married. And you know, now what? <laughs> yeah. So, so you're getting into the 23 and me, you're like the rest of us. You're um, at home during COVID sadistically, apparently making banana bread and picking right. up new weird hobbies. Everyone's making right. banana bread. I don't get that. Like it's time to bake, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, picking up new hobbies, you're bored. You end up exploring more on the 23 and me. Tell the listeners a little bit about that. Well, um, uh, in, in fact, I, I kind of just, the, the app had been put to rest. I really hadn't looked at it in years, you know, after finding the obvious matches and, uh, one day, lo and behold, I was just sitting there and I got an email notification or, you know, phone notifications that, you know, you have, you know, a message on 23andMe. And I thought, oh, you know, who's messaging me on, that doesn't already know me on 23andMe? And why would they use that app as the source? And uh, yeah, it was a, a woman that just said, hey, you're my highest match on here. How do you think we'd know each other? And at the time, I didn't pay attention to the percentage of the match so much. I was just sort of like, Oh, I don't know. Who are you? Let's see, you know, like, how can we connect the dots, you know, and, and we just started talking. And um, in that moment, she told me that, um, you know, her dad had been adopted here and um, in Michigan back in 1969. And um, that it was really her dad that was looking to find who his birth parents were, but her, you know, was, uh, they were also looking just for health history, things like that. And find, they wanted to find out who they were, you know, sure. as a family, what their lineage was. And she goes, it says on here that you're my aunt. And I said, well, you wouldn't be my aunt because, you know, I'm an only child. I don't have any brothers or sisters, but dun, 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 right. <laughs> but wait, there's more <laughs> back after these messages. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, you know, I, I started doing some of the math. I started doing some of my own kind of like, well, I don't know who would you be? And then we, you know, we figured out it was from my dad's side of the family. And, and so I had asked her that night, um, you know, can you maybe send me a picture of your dad just so I could, you know, see if there's any resemblance to anybody or, you know, like I figured we'd start there, you know? And, uh, but when she said, you know, her dad was adopted and it was, they, uh, it was adopted in Highland Park and that, you know, he was of Lebanese descent and all this. And I'm going, all of a sudden these like bells start going off and I'm like, Oh wow. You know, she might really be tied to my family. Like, who is this? You know, right. and I wasn't sure I'd narrowed it down at that point where I figured like, you know, could it be my dad or could it be my uncle, you know, cause around the age that they were and the age that this child was born and everything. I thought, well, they would definitely been of childbearing age at that time. And, you know, so I was like, man, is my dad or my uncle? Well, she sent me some pictures of her dad and I, I, I will never, forget that moment. I will, ne that it, it was one of the, 
I don't know, kind of the most shocking, the most beautiful, like the most, I don't know. There were so many emotions that went in that moment, that moment. But when I looked at that photo, I pretty much just took the photo and just was like, yeah, this is my dad's child. This, wow. I, mean, I knew in that moment, because what I felt like I was looking at was a piece of my dad. I just kept staring at this, this photo. And then I started, you got to send me more, send me more. And so she started sending me more and I start going in my photos and, and I know I got one where my dad looks just like that. And then we're going side by side and, you know, we're doing all these things and I just, I just knew it. And so uh, after he and I finally connected, we decided, um, you know, his, uh, his results hadn't been posted yet, but hers had. So we knew we were on to something. And so we mm -hmm. decided at that point, we weren't going to wait for 23 and me because they take like six weeks. So we went to an outside lab and we did a sibling specific test and confirmed that he was indeed my half brother that we don't know if my dad ever knew about, or, you know, or if obviously if he did know about it, I don't know if my mom knew too. And they never told me, I don't know. We, we, you know, there's a lot of questions we'll never have answers because, you know, my parents are, are both passed on. So, but what a not, cool thing. What a cool thing. And, and not to be a uh, very metaphysical touchy feely, but again, I feel like your mom had a hand in this from the other side. Yeah, it's so you know, weird. It's so weird that suddenly you just get this match and you, you guys well, did this years ago. And OK, so it's funny that you have that kind of a hunch about it, because um, this is something I haven't shared with a lot of people. But I guess here we are. This is the exclusive on but I'll share it with 10,000 people on a podcast. <laughs> right, I know. But it just there was something personal that happened the night before my mom passed. Um, she was in the hospital and, you know, her health was kind of failing. And she said to me, um, she texted me a message and said, you know, um, when you come, cause I was coming every day after work. And she said, when you come tomorrow, I have something I want to talk to you about. And so I've always wondered what that something was because she didn't make it through the night. Wow. And I always wondered uh, what that something was. And so when I went through this process with Keith, and like you said, you have some hunch that from beyond my mom was trying to tell me something that perhaps, perhaps just maybe she did know about this yeah. and, and she was trying to unload because she was the last one here to tell me, you know, but Nobody around my mom knew her sisters didn't know. I mean, nobody knew my dad's brother didn't know. And this was like a very deep, deep kept secret, which leads one to believe, did anybody know, you know, yeah. because it was so secret. Um, but, it, you know, um, I think I'd shared with you before that I could my dad did struggle with something in his life. And so at the very least, in my heart, I feel that my dad knew, but I don't yeah. know that he ever shared it with my mom or not. That I'm, we don't know. You know, we, we have these hunches like you have a hunch and I have a hunch, but I we will ne we'll never know the answers to those questions, unfortunately. You know? And I have that hunch to having spent the time around your mom that I did. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a good relationship with my mom and I, oh, it always warmed me so much to see how much you two loved each other. Yeah. And so I, I know your mom would literally move heaven and earth to, to get a message to you if she wanted to and, sh and she could. And so to me, like I've goosebumps just saying that, like to me, like, you know, you can't break the bonds of love that are that strong. And, and like, to me, I'm just like, eh, it's a no brainer. She would do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you might be onto something there because I have felt that too. And like I said, I've always wondered what it was that she was, you know, going to tell yeah. me in that text. I've always wanted to know 
what what she was going to share because it wasn't you know i mean if she wanted me to grab something from her house or do that she would have just said it in the text so she yeah. had something significant she wanted to share with me and um yeah i don't know i mean i've always i've always wondered and now here we are years later and could this be it you know that's yeah that's amazing that's so question. you guys figure out your siblings and yeah. do you connect do do you meet do you see each other yeah. So, um, we decided, you know, because obviously like he's got a, a daughter and a son and, you know, I mean, there's more people involved in the family, but we just decided since our connection was the strong one being half siblings that, um, we would just drive and meet halfway. Now he's now, he grew up in Georgia, even though he was born here in Michigan, his family moved to Georgia when he was a teenager. So he's been in, um, kind of the mountains up in uh, North, uh, East Georgia, and so we met in Lexington, Kentucky, which was like five hours for me and five hours for him. We just met at a hotel there and um, we stayed a couple nights there. You know, we each got a room and just hung We pretty much hung out in the parking lot and talked every night, you know, <laughs> and we went to dinner and lunches and things like that together. And we just, you know, I brought a bunch of photo albums and, you know, trying to just try to do the best I can to explain to him who his birth father was, you know, yeah. and the kind of man that my dad was and, you know, um, share with him, of course, our love for music, which is it just a, a, such a cool thing that how much, you know, my dad, my uncle's a musician, my dad's a musician, I'm a musician. And then as it turns out, Keith and his daughter sing and like, you know, man. the musical gene did not yeah. fall far from the family tree, you know? So that's been cool to discover like, how many things we have in common and how much we are alike and not just how much we look alike, but just, you know, personality traits. That's something that we've both been shocked by, you know, like some of the things he's into are the same things my dad's into and some of the way he does. Yeah. Things. Oh, my dad does that. You remind me of my dad. And I would always <laughs> say, you remind me of my dad. And then I'd have to go, you remind me of our dad. You know? You've had many decades of undoing of my dad. So yeah, it's hard. You get a break. Yeah. 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 I still do it sometimes. I'm trying to get better at it, but yeah, it's just, it's crazy to all of a sudden find yourself, you know, a full grown adult and, you know, realize that, you know, your dad had another child you never knew about. That's crazy. And for all the listeners, I will post in the comments pictures because it is crazy how much they look alike, but more so how much you look like his daughter. Yeah. Your niece. Niece. Like, that's yeah. insane. It, that is insane. And uh, um, it's just, I look at pictures of her and I, I, I remember pictures of myself at her age and I compare those side by side. And it, you know, a lot of people say like, she could be your daughter, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. And even she has a daughter. So I have a great niece and, and we've done some uh, child comparison photos where we were all like three, four years old, like side by side of the three of us. And that's eerily haunting, you know, how much, you know, we, we look like each other. And I just, sometimes I sit here and I can't, I can't believe these people exist. Like there's a human out there that looks just like me. And I just found out about it, you know? And, and so it's, you know, in turn, now we're just making up for lost time. We're trying to see as much of each other as we can. You know, I'm all excited about having a niece and nephew to buy gifts for and, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. get to know and, and, uh, you know, another person to another cheerleader for their, their, there's someone to be in their corner, you know, more love to go around, I guess. Good way to look at it. Just what a beautiful turnaround. And th th sort of the point of this too is that it had to um, ease the sharp edges of loss, of COVID, of all the things going on to go, oh, I'm not an only child. I have all this family that I not only 
now know about, but actually genuinely really like and get along with and love. And like, that's yeah. just got to be amazing. It, yeah. Because I think like when you're, you, you know, we grieve a parent, right? You know, that yeah. that's pretty common that we grieve a parent, but when you lose your last parent, I think we go through a little bit of an extra of orphaning kind of a, a grief, you know, like we don't have anybody to turn to, to say that they're proud of us to, you know, give, you know, share our excitement with, or even our, our, our grief, our own, you know, dark days, you know, to have just your mom to call or your dad to call or whatever. And so when they go, there's like this incredible emptiness that you feel like I'm not just grieving, like a really close relationship, like you pointed out that I have with my mom, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm not just grieving that, but I'm grieving, like, kind of just not having anybody, you know, yeah. it's not just my mom. And so, yeah, to kind of uh, turn that around a few years later to, you know, like you just said, to find out that I do have family and I do have, you know, people that I can love on and that love me and that, you know, we're blood relationship like that's that's crazy. Like, it's almost mm. like you're getting a second chance or um, I, I've explained this to a lot of people where it feels like, it feels like I got a part of my dad back even like, you know, because how much Keith looks like my dad and when I'm in person with him and his movements and his voice and just things that I catch and I'm just like, ah, oh, it's like my dad's on earth again. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's weird. It's, it's just such a, I don't want to say it's weird. It's really a blessing in every aspect of the word it's, and it's joyous. And there's so many you know ways to describe it that are so positive and uplifting. But, and then at the same time, I'm like, wait a minute, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> All of this is just so much, like, it's so hard to believe sometimes that it's even real, even though I'm looking at it, I've seen it with my own eyes. You know, we've got two DNA tests that prove, you know, <laughs> that we're half siblings and it's still hard to believe, but I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled. I can't, I couldn't be more happy with the situation. And I just love the culmination of this. And it's a lot about what the season is about, um, is all these musicians stories of overcoming things that were difficult and could have really set somebody else into a spiral or just giving up altogether. And you get to the other side of it, you know, with joy and it actually, it actually ends up being better than you could have ever imagined it by just hanging on and getting through. Yeah. Because I think by design, we're designed to persevere, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that, um, like you said, with music, you know, like, uh, we were the underdogs, we were females, you know, we, we had things that happened like Angie getting that, you know, the, the halo on her leg and, you know, but against all odds, you, you know, you, you find, find a way to come out on the other side and be successful with it, you know, and same thing here with like the family, you know, against all odds. And just when I thought I was all alone, all of a sudden, you know, yeah. here we are with family. And so, yeah, you know, you just, you know, like they say, when you're going through anything hard, um, uh, uh, what are they, what's the, good, the old saying about like this too shall pass. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, out of every, I think out of every, grieving moment or any kind of bad moment that you have in your life. It seems like just, just give it a little breath and, you know, might be a month. It might be a day, it might be a few years, but you know, it does pass and, and joy is around the corner, even on your darkest days. I love that. And I love, you have to give yourself credit for being open and malleable and, and, and soft to the idea. Cause you could have just ignored the email, ignored right. the, you know, but you explored it, you were curious and, you know, it served you in this situation. And yeah, there, I, I just love that. 
I absolutely was because the first night when, when she was texting me and I, I hadn't seen any photos yet. And I was sitting on the couch and I was saying, we were, you know, we were digging into some of the information. It was all just words at this point. And I, and I said to Nick, I said, why do I feel like I'm about to open a can of worms? I don't know if I'm ready to open, you know? And he's like, you know, he's like, oh, it's not your dad, you know? And I was like, <laughs> you know, we're, you know, I, I had this feeling in that moment that, you know, I was on to something big, something big was about to happen. Something was going to change my life. And by the time I woke up the next morning, my life had changed. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I am going to leave it at that. That's a great ending. <laughs> and that is amazing. So thank you so much for coming on and thank you. Oh, for thank free you. And yeah. um, I, I'm going to share in whatever information Rachel wants to share in the comments when we post this and you can look at the photos and kind of see a little bit about the story for yourself, but it's an incredible story. So thank you so much again. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to What Won't She Say. You can find us at whatwontshesay.com on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else that you like to find your podcast.